on the air and streaming on the web since 1996. This is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Hello again, I'm Jason Drury, welcoming you to another of the continuing series of film, TV and video game composer interviews on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Benjamin Simons is a composer, musician and songwriter from London, England. He has had great success making a name for himself in the UK independent film and trailer music circuit. His reputation for quality, drive, enthusiasm and fast turnaround in seemingly impossible deadlines was always keeping to a brief and tapping into the emotional core of the scene ensures that he is the go-to composer for those who use him time and time again. He has recently, after holding his trade on scoring short films, has made a transition to the feature film world. His first was the independent low-budget sci-fi adventure Invasion Planet Earth in 2019. Then later, this year, 2020, he scored Point of No Return. His latest score is for the horror film Hosts. Written and directed by Adam Leader and Richard Oates, the plot concerns a family who fall victim to a series of violent murders when they invite their neighbours, who, unknown to them, are being possessed by vengeful spirits over the Christmas dinner. Simon's music for the film proves that he is as adept in the horror genre as in any other, particularly in one cue entitled The Skullcracker Suite, where he utilises traditional Christmas tunes in an imaginatively chilling way. In November 2020 for the Cinematic Sound Radio Network, I had the pleasure of talking to Benjamin Simons via Zoom at his home in London, England. During the interview, we talked about his career to date, his work on his latest score hosts, and the music he has written away from the film world during the COVID pandemic. Also during the show, we'll be playing music from hosts as well as more from the musical world of Benjamin Simons. Benjamin Simons, how did your interest in music start? Well, um, it started when I was much younger. So when I was very young, in primary school, every summer we used to have a voluntary thing you could do at our school where you'd go and perform a musical. So it was like a two-week thing we'd do during summers and we'd learn a musical and perform it and everyone got like a song and it was all very nice and friendly and no one was given lead roles or anything like that. So I started out with loving singing and then started learning guitar but was only really interested in learning how to play other band songs. I wasn't really ever interested in learning the theory or scales or practicing any of that kind of stuff. I just went to my guitar lessons with a song I wanted to learn and then he would teach me how to play it and I would practice it until I nailed it. And then I just got to the point eventually where I was able to 
start learning how to play songs myself and I had a sort of a natural ear for it where I could hear what someone was doing and, and sort of break down music layer by layer to work out how to do things. And then essentially just transitioned into writing music. But initially I was actually in a heavy metal band for 10 years called Malefice. It was the only band I've ever been in. Started in a garage and ended up on a relatively big label doing lots of tours and festivals and releasing albums. And then at some point, because this is all when I was quite a lot younger and there wasn't really computers that we could record music on or anything like that. And I used to record all my demos into my phone on, on a like a Nokia thing. Like just, and it was all acoustic at the time. I'd record it on the acoustic and then record and then actually do it on electric later. The Logic came out basically. So I got Logic on a Mac, on a little Mac and realized that it had these um, god awful MIDI sounding string samples. And my dad had always made me listen to classical when I was young. Like one of the first albums or few albums he gave me was like Vivaldi's Four Seasons, Handel's Messiah and um, Mozart's Requiem. So I had a, a grounding in classical in the most popular sense of it. And then I, I discovered film music probably through Gladiator probably was my first time I'd ever really like properly noticed film music in a way that I was like, well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because that's actually cool because that's not that's not the classical that I'm used to, it could be rock and roll, but it also can be very emotional. And I was at a point where I was starting to feel like writing heavy music was a bit too linear emotionally, like it was all mostly one volume, just loud. And I wanted to explore some other emotional territory, but also write some aggressive sounding orchestral music if I could. Uh, and just started messing around. We're using the terrible samples that were in Logic, started writing music and then, yeah, and then it all just started snowballing from there. When did you decide that you wanted to become involved in film and TV music? Well, I think you, you might say that I, I went the wrong direction for about 10 years. I was pretty sure we were going to make it as a band. And obviously you wouldn't do it if you didn't think you had something good going on. And we got so close to the point where, from the outsider's perspective, you would think that we were making a lot of money. But actually being in a band costs a lot of money and touring costs money and we weren't making very much but we were sort of breaking even basically and I'd always said that if things started to plateau or felt like we were going backwards then it's probably time to rethink things and that was in my sort of mid-20s and that was at the same sort of time that I was falling in love with writing film music and started doing a couple of short films and it just essentially kind of shifted my focus like the goal when I was younger, it always been the same. Like I wanted to make a living doing music, but it just shifted from, I don't think it's going to work in a band anymore, but I think I could do it on my own, writing film music potentially. Not really based on much. I didn't have much to go on other than I wanted to. I didn't know if I was going to be good enough, but I just wrote as much music as I could. I worked a full-time job. I'd come home, write music, work on short films and did that for years basically. And, and I'm still pursuing it now. How did you get your first assignment? Okay, so on one of the last music videos we ever shot was for a song of ours called Awaken the Tides. And the company that we used to make the music video had a producer there who worked for that company who ended up going off and starting to work as a producer in films. And she knew that I was dabbling with writing film music and I'd send her bits and bobs to see what she thought. And she essentially introduced me to the first person who'd ever employ me which was a chap called Patrick Ryder. And it was a little short film called Shift. And it was my first ever attempt really at writing music to picture. And it was basically a little like eight minute short film about a guy who's stuck in an office job, but daydreams about dancing around these empty streets in London. And it's flashes between him dancing around London and him being back in his office, essentially. But it was actually a very challenging first assignment because 
none of the choreography had been written to music or any sort of BPM or tempo or anything like that. So my job was to write music for it that looked as though he was dancing to that in the first place. So that was an interesting first challenge. (laughs) And then we've gone on to do lots of films since then together. How much training on film music theory did you do before you started work on Shift? No, I've never studied, never studied anything. I've just, I I would say I've put my 10,000 hours in with what I've done. And it's still happening now, I think. Like every project I get, I feel like I'm, pushing myself to be bolder and better than I was before. And I've been like that from the very start. Obviously, at the very start, it was not very good, but it was okay. And then it got to the point where it was good enough to start working on a couple of short films. And I just worked it out as I went along. You know, even when I got my first feature film, like two years ago, I was terrified because I've never really ever written music for a film that's longer than 20 minutes before. And I was terrified just in a practical sense, like how do I actually manage the files like how what do i do like how do i have to do cue sheets how do you do a cue sheet like how do i set up a session in logic where i can write for a film that, that's that long without something messing up so i just would end up looking at youtube christian henson from spitfire audio's youtube channel helped me a lot actually there's a couple of videos about templates and things like that like he wasn't even really teaching you how to write music for film but he did some stuff in that video where he'd set up a session for picture and i was like oh okay so you do that and i just do that now and I've just, yeah, it's mad. I've just learned as I've gone, basically. As you said, you started your career working on short films. How do you choose which of those films you would like to work on? Well, you know, there's not exactly been a lot of situations where I would say no to a job when I'm starting out. So I put that out there straight away. So it's not like I'm picking and choosing, oh, well, maybe I won't do that film. Basically, generally speaking, if an opportunity came my way, and it was with someone I hadn't worked with before, I'm probably going to do it because you never know when that person might end up going next and I want to impress and and have good relationships with people. But as a general rule of thumb, I would aim to work on things, especially when I was doing short films, that every short film would be starkly different from anything I'd done before because I found it to be a really good exercise in just trying to work out what my sound is and how does my sound and how I work fit within a sci-fi or working in a drama about an, an elderly chap who has Alzheimer's work like with the NHS I did where you know I'd only use an acoustic guitar and a bit of piano or the sci-fi one where I only used all these little quirky synth sounds and I've done some like gritty crime stuff I'd always just try and do something that the musical landscape and the palette that I would use would be entirely different from the thing before to see if where I felt like I felt most comfortable and where I, I could be better, you know? What has been your favourite short that you worked on to date? My favourite short film? One of the first ones I did... Well, it wasn't first. But one, of the, one of the earlier ones I did was my good friend Richard Oakes, who actually went on to make hosts. His first short film was called Exit Plan, and he basically went from making that short film to then going on years later to make hosts. And we've been very good friends for a lot of years now. From the story of like the arc of my life, having worked on that when, you know, there was no money, tiny little crew, 20 minute little short film. From going from that with him to getting to where we are now with him is, is what well, it's been my favorite experience because, you know, we're just really good friends and it's so great to see that we're both progressing together.
And that was music from the 2016 sci-fi short Exit Plan, directed by Richard Oates, original score composed by my guest today, Benjamin Simons. Now, Benjamin, how did you get hired for your first feature film, Invasion Planet Earth in 2019, which was directed by Simon Cox? This is kind of wild. So he was making Invasion Planet Earth over the span of like 14 years. We'd actually connected on Facebook when I basically just started getting into composing. And I sent him a message being like, at the time it was called Kaleidoscope Man, saying, oh, and if you ever need a composer, let me know. And he was like, oh, thanks very much. Like, I've already got one on board. And then I was like, yeah, cool, no worries. Like, I'm not interested in stepping on people's toes or anything like that. And then, like, literally 10 years passed by. I've now gone from doing, like, one short film to 20 short films. And he randomly stumbles across my YouTube channel. And I made a video on my YouTube called Hope's Dream, Success and Failure. And it's basically talking about, like, the negative impacts of giving yourself too lofty a dream or too lofty an ambition and then holding yourself accountable for all for every time you, that you're not there yet and not enjoying the journey of actually just improving and, and moving up in the world. And he watched that video and then messaged me, asked me for my number and called me and said... I'm not sure I want to use the guy originally had for an now called Invasion Planet Earth. How do you feel about working with me? Um, and I was like, yeah, cool. And I just went up to his house and I watched this rough edit that he had. I spoke about like what I thought could be really cool from a score point of view in terms of like cause the temp music he had was just entirely Star Wars. So I was like, well, how can we make it sound like a throwback 70s, you know, traditional John Williams-esque score, but also give it like a slightly more modern feels or it's kind of feels a bit of the a little bit of both and i came home and write a f wrote a little demo that had a few themes in it and then um then we're off i will say the first thing i wrote was the opening cue so if you're interested in that that cue goes through a lot of different feelings from impending dread to introduction of a theme for the child and then a 70s retro tv score into a retro 70s tv credits music and then into a big sort of crescendo ending and it's it was a pretty wild experience to write honestly
and that was the opening cue. This is Kaleidoscope Man and the Battle of Birmingham from the 2019 science fiction action film Invasion Planet Earth, directed by Simon Cox, with original score composed by my guest today, Benjamin Simons. Now, Ben, you've had two films released in 2020 of which you have scored. Tell us first about Point of No Return. For um, Point of No Return, that came about because Richard, who made Hosts, this is before Hosts, he was a DOP, so he does quite a lot of DOP work. Um, He was DOP on that film, and he had introduced me to the director, but it was a difficult experience in the sense that when I got the job, because originally they were thinking about using royalty-free music, like just using stuff on, like on wherever and downloading it and just chucking it in. And I had to tell them, like, you're devaluing your film. Like, you need to have some uniformity across all your cues. There needs to be motifs and, you know, things that repeat. And you can't just have royalty-free music. That's going to crush your film. Like, why would you do all this work to make something, to have at the last hurdle just slap some tracks on there? I just felt like it was wrong. But ultimately, that meant that when I got the job, I had a month, like literally 28 days to write the score for Point of No Return. And it's quite a long film. It's, I think it's just nudging into just under two hours. So I had to think quite carefully about my approach and it didn't come instantly either. I tried a more Band of Brothersy thing and I just, I hated it basically. And that's actually the last time I'll ever use a reference of any kind for anything that's come before it that's similar. So if I ever have to do a war film again, I'm never going to watch or listen to any other anybody else's work because it only goes to confuse me. So what I ended up doing was just scrapping it all and going in and just doing something that I felt was right for it, which ended up being really synthy for a war film. But it just felt like it worked because the film is essentially an hour and 50 of tension. And I wanted sort of a slow pulsing uncomfortable feeling score with moments of beauty but mostly tension (laughs) Um, and we did that mostly using synths with the occasional moment of you know using some more traditional orchestral stuff Thank you. 
and that was Here They Come and The Nurse Enemy from the 2020 film The Point of No Return, directed by Rick Roberts, with original score composed by my guest today, Benjamin Simons. Now, Ben, your latest score is the horror film Hosts, directed by Adam Leader and Richard Oakes. Now, what attracted you to the project? Well, outside of the fact that he's one of my very closest friends and I'd probably work on anything he asked me to do because we just have that sort of way of working together. Um, I hadn't done a horror before and it was another thing to try and do to see if I can, A, do horror because I've never done horror before. I mean, can I write horror music? Can I do it in a way that hasn't already been done? Can I make it musical and emotional and not just jump scary and noise and you know horrible sounds and clashing and what what can i do to make horror different for me and that was my main uh, appeal to it how did you go about scoring hosts well this one's interesting actually because i saw a lot of what was going on before because i was actually on set every day so something that i like to do and will hope to continue doing moving forwards is i'm also really good at script continuity and script supervision if i can I'll always try and get employed to do one of those jobs because first off, I'm good at it and I, I don't miss things. But second of all, I get to know the film inside out. I get to see it made. I get to see dailies and what's coming up on monitors and, and get a really good sense for the feel of things whilst it's happening. So by the time that I'm actually ready to start doing the score, I've, I'm ready to go basically because normally I'd spend a few days on set and then go home one evening or it was actually more like morning. It was all night shot shoots. So I get home at like seven <laughs> in the morning. And then I'd write a little demo and, and just be like, do you guys think this is what this film should sound like? And it was. And actually one of the tracks I wrote was Skullcracker Suite. I had just had this idea like, because the first scene that we shot was the uh, uh, Christmas meal. And really bad things happen at this Christmas dinner. And immediately after, I just thought it'd be really funny if we had a really terrible horrific rendition of a lovely Christmas song. So I demoed that and sent it to them and they, they couldn't believe how much of a great idea it was. But yeah, basically like my ideas come from ideally being on set and seeing it all happen. But otherwise conversations with directors, we talk, I mean, Rich and I speak a lot before we even get to shooting about what he has in mind. The point of no return, for example, Wake was given no guidance whatsoever. It was just, I trust you do what you think is right. You've only got 28 days just write the whole film. I don't have time to watch it or give you notes. So it's very variable. And I think half of the battle being a composer is being adaptable and ensuring that you can still deliver regardless of your situation.
and that was In Remission and Skull Cracker Suite from the 2020 horror film Hosts, revision score composed by my guest today, Benjamin Simons. Now, Ben, what instrumentation do you use in your scores? It's mostly samples at the moment, but that's because there isn't budget to do otherwise. I live with my girlfriend in a flat. I have a my desk and my keyboard here. I've got some guitars and a bass, but I'm not really in a position to bring out the timpani or start lugging loads of gear and synth racks and all that kind of stuff into the flat. So for the most part, I'm working in the box, if you will, using samples. If there is a need for guitar, then I'll play that because I can. But what I do try and do is to try and manipulate sounds from the box so it doesn't sound necessarily like how that plugin would sound or that instrument would sound if you opened that preset. So that's kind of the goal. But then, you know, you, you, you have to work with what you've got, right? And within within your means. And um, and that right now, my means and the budgets that I'm given allow me to to write using samples. And hopefully in the future, it will be allow, allow me to use um, some string sections would be nice. I'd like to go and see my music recorded live. But I'd also like the time and the budget to explore, you know, actually recording a lot more and, and really messing with instruments and buying a bunch of weird instruments and stuff, but just not not right now, unfortunately. You know, I always try and make it sound as realistic as possible, which takes a lot of time. You have to really sculpt a lot of these orchestral samples, even though they sound, you know, fantastic out of the box. They, they need a lot of work to make it sound convincing. And that's what I spend a lot of my time doing. And I don't know if the, if there's, I'm sure plenty of people who listen to my scores and are convinced that that's real. And I'm sure that the very eagle-eyed among us composers and, and musician fans or music fans will will know, notice that it's maybe not real. But hopefully you get the same feeling out of it. So how long on average does it take for you to work on your scores? I would say an ideal amount of time is between two and three months, I reckon. The thing that's time consuming about working in the box is, like I mentioned a minute ago, actually writing the music is, is quite quick, but spending the time going into the sculpting and making sure that all your modulation arcs and vibrato and everything that you need to have nice and smooth and realistic, well, to add all that realism, that's what takes all the additional time. So I, sp I don't spend as much time actually writing music as I do trying to make it sound as real as possible but i also employ tricks to try and mask the fact that it's not real by intentionally doubling that like real samples up with synthesized versions or things that already don't sound real so you don't necessarily know the difference but it it's, it makes i think it takes your attention away if it was just strings on their own you'd really be listening into that thinking, oh, I'm not sure if that sounds 100%. But when you add an, some extra layers underneath some synths, some th synths that sound like strings that are mimicking what the strings are doing, then you start getting into this world where you're not sure what you're hearing anymore. And that really helps. So I spend a lot of time doing that. But yeah, generally, 28 days is not enough time. I was very stressed. And I really worked out during that process how to deal with writer's block because when there is no time, you cannot have writer's block. You just have to write. And I've learned that I can continue to write even if I don't want to write because I feel like I, I can't write music. You can write music. You just hate it at the time. But uh, but then the next day when you listen to you, you're like, oh, it's not that bad. I could fix that in no time. And that's what I've learned from having no time. But yeah, two to three months is nice. Thanks very much. Now let's talk a little bit about your scoring technique. 
how do you start writing the music for the film? Do you write it chronologically or do you write from a certain point in the film and move forward? I actually really like to write chronologically because I feel like I'm following the story. So I never try and watch it too many times. So I watch the film and then I like to work chronologically because I feel like as an emotional human, the best way that I can have an honest reaction in terms of what I'm then going to do musically is to watch it in just how I feel and then write something based on that. Maybe not from how I feel, but how I feel like they might be feeling. It varies depending on whether I feel like you should be feeling a general sense of a feeling in the film or you should be feeling something from the perspective of somebody else. That's how I generally try and approach it. How do you write your music, for example, for underscoring dialogue? I mean, I, my approach to it is my core function is to serve the film in the best way possible. The things I'm trying to avoid are I don't want to get in the way of anything and I don't want to make anything about me. So I'm not ever trying to overindulge my sense of trying to be impressive. I only ever want to do what I feel like is the right thing to do. But equally, there is that bit in the back of your mind where you're like, well, if this is going to be, going to be on a score, it also needs to be interesting, even if there's not much going on. So if there's dialogue, what can I do to make things interesting without ever getting in the way? Um, and wh where will there be pockets that I can elevate things even more? Um, so there's a great scene in Point of No Return where two of the soldiers are really facing off against each other, like you know, internal conflict, and one pulls a gun on the other. Uh, it's a big, like, probably one of the longer cues in the film, and it ends with this big, tense, almost shoot-off, basically. But a lot of the music going around that is just really subtle, but then it really ramps up it towards the end because it felt like there was just more room for it. But there isn't like a like a tried and tested method I think I use for writing over dialogue. I think it's just, as long as I'm not getting in the way and as long as I feel like I'm enhancing the scene, then I'll do it. But a lot of times I'm, I try and I've not avoid it, but I, if I don't think it's necessary, then, then I won't. Like if there's no underlying threat or there's no underlying situation going on that needs to be portrayed with music, then I'll leave it be. I'm also a big advocate for less is more. Like I have conversations a lot about saying, you know, you probably don't want music here. Like I don't need to be everywhere. Like let, let the film do the work. You know, I don't need to always be assisting it. Sometimes it's just good enough as it is.
And that was more music from the 2020 horror film Hosts, with original score composed by Benjamin Simons. That track was entitled The Father. Now, Ben, which director collaborations have you enjoyed so far to date? Okay, well, I think, I mean, Richard is, you know, a very close personal friend of mine, so I'm always going to be excited to hear about anything that he's working on. And I think he's got very exciting prospects. Host is doing really well. It's his first feature. Um, Him and Adam Leader made it together, and he's another good friend of mine. And they're always going to be a co-directorial team. They write the films together, and we have a a really tight-knit group of people. You know, we've got camera teams and sound team. You know, everyone is very much part of this little family of people that work together. And I really like that. And I'm always going to be looking forward to working with him anytime I get an opportunity to. As for look forward to potentially working with anyone, really. (laughs) Anyone working on anything would be good. You just give me a call. How much free reign have you had working on your projects? Of the three features, Point of No Return is the only one where they've just said, go for it. We trust you to do the job and just left me to it which I personally found not the ideal way to work with someone because as a creative, I often suffer with crippling imposter syndrome. So being able to send cues as I'm working on them and be like, are we on the right path? What do you think of this? And them going, yeah, it's great, carry on. That's the kind of motivation and the reassurance that I need that I'm doing a good job, which sounds sad in a way, but but it's also part of like what being in a collaborative working environment is all about. I feel like personally, you should be able to have those relationships with people, but in that situation, there wasn't time, and I just had I did the whole film, and that was fine. But with um, Simon Cox on Invasion Planet Earth and Richard and Adam on Hosts, it was a lot more collaborative. It wasn't like we wouldn't talk about every cue, like what we need to do here and what we need to do there. It was far more broad strokes. It was more the general tone, eras, specifically with Invasion Planet Earth, the sort of feeling of nostalgia or how we want to achieve horror in music. And we talk about what they had in mind. And then I'll talk about how I perceive that we might be able to do that in a way that works with me, but will be unique for the film. So yeah, it's it's very, but generally speaking, it tends to be a conversation before I start about the tone and the feel. And I'll always normally write a demo just before I start working on the film to say, you know, I think this is where, where we're going to go with it based on all the conversations that we've had. And if we're all in agreement after that, then it's off we go. And then I'm, I'm basically free to do whatever from then on. Who are your musical influences? Um, I don't think I have any anymore. I think... I have a lot to thank for Hans Zimmer for sort of introducing me to the world in terms of being the first person whose music that I really latched onto as being no longer hearing it as something that's in the film, but as being something that's very separate from the film that could be ingested and enjoyed. So the Gladiator score I mentioned earlier is the first, I think, proper score that I just sat down and listened to religiously. um, And that sent me on a spiral of listening to everything from then on that I could find that, you know, if I enjoyed the film, I'd listen to the score and... That was how I lived and, you know, wanted to try and be like that. But in terms of, like, current day, I actually don't really listen to film score anymore. Not because I don't like it. Like, I love it. I've always loved it. But I don't know. It's like, I just want to exist in my own world. And and it's got nothing to do with, like, oh, I don't want to be subconsciously influenced by other people's music while I'm working. It's just want to focus on what I'm doing. Now, with the COVID pandemic, I'm sure it's been difficult to keep yourself busy. How have you been keeping busy during the COVID pandemic? Well, yeah, I mean, it was unfortunate that I went full-time freelance um, 
fairly recently um, towards the end of last year. And I've been working on finishing hosts and we were in pre-production on another film I was going to do to be doing called A Thousand Flames, which I was doing two jobs on. So I'm writing the score, but I'm also the film is kind of a musical. There's lots of songs in the film played by a band and by a singer songwriter, acoustic player. So I've, I've been writing all these songs for the film um, in advance of us filming it. Obviously, we needed to have the songs for them to play them. And then we were just about to go and shoot the film and lockdown happened. And then everything's on hold, basically. So, you know, I was sulking for a bit, you know, trying to f- twiddle in my thumbs like, well, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to who am I going to write music for? So to start with, I was like, OK, well, I'll start this idea like quarantine sessions. So. I started writing these tracks that were long form, very slow, very calming music that was designed with the goal of helping people to relax and unwind and switch off from the world and hopefully drift off and imagine some really lovely things. So every every track would be themed about around an idea. And that was really fun and interesting and people enjoyed that. But it wasn't earning me any money. It was more just a, a nice thing to do to help me ticking over and to hopefully maybe help some people out along the way. And then I ended up getting in touch with a YouTuber called Internet Historian. And it was a very random set of circumstances that led to it. But essentially, we were chatting and he'd used one of my tracks that I did as a joke on YouTube, which was How to Bram. It's like a one minute video, which is a joke, essentially taking the mick out of the Inception Bram horns that you hear on every trailer. And he'd used that in one of his videos. And I'd messaged him being like, oh, did you know you were using my music? And I was like, I don't think we are. I was like, I think you are. And he checked. He was like, I am. Um, sorry about that, but we do need someone to write some music for us. And then I started writing music for him, which has been really interesting because it's a very different approach. I don't write the picture for him. He tells me what he's working on or what specifically he needs, and then I'll just write stuff. So his last video called The Gentleman Pirate, which is the, the history of a chap called Steve Bonnet or Bonnet. I don't know how you say his name. And I wrote a bunch of pirate tracks and you know, a big sort of Pirates of the Caribbean sounding stuff and then some more sort of quirky, jaunty, tavern-esque music.
And then midway through, he's like, oh, there's a montage scene where the captain on the ship needs to be trained to be a good captain. Can you write me a montage style 80s retro synth track for it with lyrics and vocals? I was like, maybe, sure, I'll give it a go. And it's been so fun because every few days he asked me for a new piece of music it's always something wildly different to the thing before so the last thing he asked me for a few days ago was a version of my heart will go on that he can use without being copyright struck you know that's the kind of stuff i'm i spend my days doing now some of it's very silly the the lyrics to this montage track are very silly and i've i had to write them and i'm very proud of it <laughs> I noticed on the IMDb particularly some of the films you worked on have been 
poorly reviewed. How does it affect you when you see films you worked on being so poorly received at times? Yeah, well, Invasion Planet Earth got pretty bombed um, because I think essentially the company that took it on to, to distribute the film, they obviously wanted to sell as many as possible because that's the job, right? You want to get as many people watching your film as possible. But what they did in doing that was to market it in such a way that it was it seemed far more like you were going to be watching Independence Day than you were going to be watching a sort of tongue-in-cheek retro 70s sci-fi movie that was kind of silly and had a bit of heart to it. And I think, rightfully so, annoyed quite a lot of people. And they left very bad reviews because they weren't they didn't watch the film that they were expecting to watch. So that kind of stuff happens, but you know, it's not you know, it's you know, it's not gonna stop me from working on another film because you know, it's not and it's not like I'm seeing reviews hating on the score so that's always a good a good sign <laughs> of course away from this interview what other ways are you trying to promote your work to future employees i think like my approach has always been especially with somebody new who doesn't know me i'll always write a demo before way before i even start the film and i think that's now i'm thinking about that it's probably quite risky i could get fired before i even start if i don't get that bit right but you have to have some faith in the fact that you know what you're doing and if the conversations you've had are leading you down the right path and you write a demo based on those conversations, you shouldn't be that far away from what they're going to need ultimately. Um, and if you nail that, then that goes a long way to secure your position because there shouldn't be a surprise when you actually start working on the film because their expectations are managed in terms of what they're expecting to hear. And I think that's really useful because they like, you know, someone could hire me like, let's say it was the Queen's Gambit and that some, for some reason the director saw host and was like, you know, I like this guy. I reckon he could do the Queen's Gambit. There's no way that that would give you a clue that I could because the music is wildly different and the, the topic is miles away from each other. But in that case, I would be doing a demo, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I want to make sure that they know that I can do the job. It's a slow process. And that's the thing that I've had to learn over the years is that you, you feel like you're banging your head against a wall trying to get more work and trying to do more, but banging your head against a wall really isn't going to work. So... You just have to you have to roll with it essentially, and sometimes it feels like you can see the ladder, but it's too high for you to reach it, and you're just sort of like, well, I don't know how to get there. And I'm lucky, you know, I, I if I wound the clock back a few years, I wouldn't have thought that I would have was going to get any feature films, and now I've done three, and I've got more lined up. So I, I feel very grateful for, to be in the position that I am in right now. Uh, and if things go on and and get better, and I do bigger, high profile stuff, then that'll be lovely. But we'll see. What ambitions do you have on your future career in composing? Uh, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I, I've, I think ambitions and goals are risky things to have because they, I think they can be disadvantageous to your mental state. If you set yourself too lofty a goal, it's really easy to be upset with the fact that you're not there yet. If, you know, on a daily basis, you constantly feel like you're pushing to get to something that you may not get to, but you also may not need to get to. Everyone sets these goals for themselves. They're like, I want to be the next Hans Zimmer, or I want to be a really famous composer, or I want to have an Oscar. But I could be a really successful composer working on mid to low end indie films and have a very happy, very normal life where I'm, I'm making enough money to call it my job and everything's fine and I'm very happy. You don't need to be at the very top to be successful. I think that's one of the key things I've learned over the last few years specifically is that there's lots of ways to to have a, a successful, happy life in music without feeling like you've 
not succeeded by because you're not at the top. And you never, you never know. Like maybe it ends up that I end up working with loads of YouTubers and just end up writing strange songs every week for different creators. You know, if I'm, am I writing music every day? Sure. Am I getting paid to do it? Yeah. Will my life be fulfilled? Yeah. You know, it, there's there's lots. You know, it's still working in music, isn't it? It's still writing music for things. I mean, I'd like to continue improving, keep pushing myself to write better and more intelligently. You know, obviously, hopefully, we'll we'll do a few more films along the way. I don't feel satisfied yet. I've got an itch to continue writing, so I'm not going to stop. Don't you worry. And what are the projects you're working on at the moment, which you can tell us about? Well, A Thousand Flames is the, probably the next one that's coming up. Um, that was literally ready to go. Like, everything was cast. All the songs were written. My, I was going to be working on set as... That film was going to be second AD on set, so I was going to be in charge of all the... Third AD, sorry. I forget. In charge of all the runners... But primarily my function was going to be to make sure that um, all the performance elements in terms of them playing and singing the songs on set looked legitimate. Um, and then I was going to score the film afterwards. And that was the next thing I was going to do. Richard and Adam, they have a slate of films at the moment. So they it could be any one of a few films that end up being made from them. And then I've been added on to a few more films by the chap that has done Point of No Return. But in terms of what happens next... I don't know yet. Probably A Thousand Flames, and then we'll see from then on. And finally, where can we see Hosts and hear the soundtrack? Well, Hosts is it's out everywhere in the US at the moment on video on demand, and it's just come out on DVD, I think, as well in America now. As for the UK, I'm told it's out in January, so I'd wait till then, unless you're very handy with VPN, then feel free to work it out. <laughs> But the score is out now, so if you want to ruin it for yourselves and have a listen, then that's fine. Um, but I think it's better with context. Benjamin Simons, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you very much for joining us on today's show. Thank you. I do hope you've enjoyed our interview with film composer, musician and songwriter Benjamin Simons. I'll leave you with a final suite of music from Ben's score to hosts. The final three cues of the score, entitled Wanna Hang? I will avenge you and go to hell. My thanks again for Benjamin Simons for joining us today. And until we meet again, for me, Jason Drury, is take care and happy listening.
Thank you for tuning in to the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. I want to thank Tim Burden for providing his voice for all the bumpers and stingers you hear throughout the program, and David Cosina for providing Cinematic Sound Radio's theme music. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please email us at cinematicsound at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media at Sinsound Radio on Twitter and Cinematic Sound on Facebook. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please take a moment right now to rate the show and write a brief review. Reviews help introduce potential listeners to the show. And while you're at it, head over to TeePublic to get a Cinematic Sound Radio t-shirt. And don't forget to check out Cinematic Sound Radio at cinematicsound.net.